It is always an adventure. That is all I'm going to say. All right. Well, once again, we're glad that you're here. If you will open up to First Peter, we're going to pick up. We're going to pick up there. First Peter, chapter starting in chapter two, going from verse eleven through chapter three, verse seven. And I understand that's a that's a fairly long passage. And so here in a moment, when uh, we get ready to stand to honor the reading of God's word, I understand that if in the middle of that that uh, you need to to take a seat for some reason, then we understand that for sure. But uh, just as a way of introduction, we're continuing on with our sermon series through First Peter, and looking at holiness in light of the gospel. Specifically, asking the question, how is it, how can we serve a holy God? What does that look like? How do we respond to Him? How do we, how do we know what that is? We looked at that in Numbers, and, and we got a look out of it in the Old Testament, and now we're in the New Testament on this side of the cross and, and looking back at it. And this week, we go from a foundation. P- Peter has been laying a foundation of the gospel as a foundation for how we live a life of holiness. We go from that foundation to building upon it. This isn't about the call as much this morning as a practical way that we can live out holiness. But it's with a very difficult word for us to process. And that's submit. That is a, that is a word that is become somewhat dirty in our language we hear the word submit and we ball up we we curl up our fist we kind of crunch our shoulders and and we like to resist that word and yet we see it throughout scripture and so we're going to look at that together this morning hopefully by now you found first peter Um, and so if you would stand that we may honor the reading of god's word then we'll do that together first peter chapter 2 starting in verse 11 Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you shall put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it, you you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, You endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, whether neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. 
for you were straying like sheep, but now have but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, that they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When you when they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy woman who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. And Lord, we come before this word that you've given us. And Lord, we read it. And for some of us, it may sound odd. For some of us, it may sound difficult. For some of us, it may sound antiquated. But Father, we know that your word is living, that it is true today just as it was true when it was put onto paper. Lord, we ask that you would give us this morning ears to listen. We pray that you would give us the ability to understand and to recognize. We pray that you would give us the humility to, to see wisdom, Lord, where maybe we would choose not to. Father, we pray that you would change us. Father, we pray all of this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Peter begins to transition from the first first chapter and and really the message of the first chapter into chapters 2 and 3 in the middle passage or the first part of what we read this morning. He's talking he's been talking about the gospel and how we can do nothing without the gospel the foundation of the life of Christ the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection we can do nothing unless we build upon that the call to holiness that God has placed in our lives the call to be different the call to be set apart can't happen unless we stand on what Christ has already done And so far he's been talking about that, but in our passage today, he begins to turn his attention to practical ways that we can do that. It's one thing for us to say, you need to be holy. It's a whole other thing for us to say, this is the way that we do that. If you go up to somebody and, hey, we need to be holy, it's like, okay, how do we do that? What's that look like? I'm not sure. Peter doesn't leave us guessing, but he begins in the second half of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3 to unfold that for us and give us one example of what that means. But he begins here in verse 11 by reminding us first, reminding us that we are like Israel, that we were sojourners, that we are exiles, that this is not home. And because this is not home, then we need to live differently. We need to live the life. And he, begin, and he talks about how for them, how the, the church that he's writing to, and even as us, that they speak about us as evildoers. We need, to, we need to hear this. The church that he is writing to, the people that he is writing to in 1 Peter, 
they were experiencing incredible persecution. They were experiencing incredible hardship. And part of it was because people in the culture were speaking about them as if they were evil. There was a rumor going around at this time that Christians were cannibals because they ate flesh and drank the blood. Because the Lord's Supper was misinterpreted among the culture. And so they believed that Christians must be cannibals. The second thing that we know is that during this time there was also a rumor that they were atheists because they wouldn't worship idols. They were seen as rabble-rousers and insurgents because they wouldn't obey the emperor. They wouldn't worship at the temple of the emperor. And so the word going around the Roman Empire was that these Christians were bad people, that they were evil, that they were out to, for the downthrow of the Roman uh, Empire, that they were out for the, the, to bring chaos, that they were murderers. Peter says... Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak of you against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds. He says, look, people are going to talk bad about you. And the thing that you learn in life is that you really have a hard time controlling about what others are going to say about you. They're going to make their own impressions. They're going to hear rumors. They're going to believe rumors. And it's going to be really hard for you to control everything that everyone says about you. So don't worry about that. You control your conduct. You shine your light. He says, do good. Keep your contact conduct good and honorable among them. Shine your light. It's very obvious here as you read this passage that Peter is referring back to the teaching of Christ. In Matthew 5, 16, Jesus says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Shine your light. Don't, don't act the way the world acts. Don't try to, to get back at them. Don't try to act like they're crazy. Just live life in front of them differently. You're exiles. You're sojourners. This is not your home. You have a different father. You've been, as we talked about last week, you've been born again. You've been made a new creation. Act like it. We were in our Bible study that we've been having on Sunday afternoons we were talking about how the world sees us and, and how it's much different than, than reality. And how do you overcome that? How do you overcome that? Obviously, it's only through the gospel. But it has to be through relationships. People have to get to know us. I, I've had this conversation where you're with a lost person and you're talking and they find out that you're a believer and with great astonishment, they, they, ex, they express, well, you're not as crazy as I thought Christians were. Thank you, I think. We're not nuts. I mean, that's the, world, the way the world sees us. That's the way the world talks about us. We're backwards. We're stuck in a book that was written thousands of years ago. We are, we're trying to pursue something that's not there. We are a little crazy in their eyes. How does that change? It has to be by us and our conduct among them. Because if they don't see a difference, then they're going to ask, what's the point? Shine your light. Make your conduct good. Keep your conduct honorable among them. Why? So that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Why do we live holy lives? Yes, it's because God has called us into that. Yes, it's because he is a holy God and we as his children are to look like him. But it's so that 
through our holy lives that others may see and that they may believe. That they may believe. That's the heart of the Father. That should be our heart as well. That our conduct would lead to the salvation of those who watch. Now, that doesn't mean that we just act a good way. We also have to explain to them why. It's not enough just to be a good person in front of them. It, but there must be the why. When they look at us and they say, why, why do you do this? Why, why do you grieve differently than we grieve? Yeah, you're still sad, but, but there's something different about it. Why is that? Christ. Why is it that you're so respectful to people, even people that you disagree with and, and you're patient? Why, how do you do that? Christ. Why is it that your kids are different than our kids? Like, there's just something intangible that we can't explain. Why? Christ. Why is your marriage different? Why does it look different? The way you act towards one another. That's just not normal in our culture. Why? Christ. We're called to this life of holiness. This called to this life of being different. That others may see him and that they might believe what, so Peter, how do we do this? Peter, what, what is a way that we can be different? And his answer is one that we don't really like. It's submission. We say that word and even as it rolls off my tongue, there's a little part of the hair that stands up on the back of my neck because we hear that word, it's like, Ugh. because it's against our nature to submit, Right? It's against our nature to, to allow someone else to tell us what to do and to control us. Everything that we are about, that just it goes against it. Part of it's because we are children of Adam and Eve, and they were the first rebels. They were the first to say, forget authority. I'm going to go my own way. That did not turn out well, by the way, if you haven't noticed. But we're part, we're them, we're, it's, it's ingrained in us. And not only that, it's kind of ingrained in our culture. In our American culture, we're, we look at the rebel and we're like, yeah, we wear it as a badge of honor that we're rebels, that we don't listen to anybody, that we're independent. And there's not, I'm not saying that independence is bad, but there's, there's a time when we need to understand that the rebellion, does, we don't see that in here. If you don't believe that Americans are rebellious, go ask the British. I'm pretty sure they would set us straight. Yeah, you're rebellious people. You don't listen to anything. In fact, the fathers, the, our, our forefathers who led the rebellion, struggled with this very issue. And that's another sermon for another day. But it's in our nature. We want to rebel. We want no one else to tell us what to do or how to do it. The problem is the only way to know God is through submission. J.D. Greer says this. He says, for many of you, your problem with submission to earthly authorities is a problem with authority in general. You don't like anybody telling you what to do, including God. But the problem is that God will not be known that way. He is, not, he is only known only in absolute surrender and submission. Some of you act like you want to know God, but you're not willing to do what he says. God is the almighty God, and if you approach him in submission and surrender, you will approach him in su submission and surrender, or you won't know him at all. That's tough to hear. That's tough to hear. 
As I read it, like I was like, Oof. and yet I'm reminded where Jesus says that there is coming a day when I will separate the sheep from the goats, when I will separate the holy from the unholy, the righteous from the righteous, the lost from the believer, from the saved. And I will say to the lost, depart from me. And they will rise up and they will say, but we were good people. We did good things. We did, every, we did what we thought we should be doing. And he says, I never knew you. Why does he say that? Because they never submitted to him. Salvation is all about forgiveness, yes. It's all about confessing our sins before him and asking to forgive us. And that is part of salvation. But what we oftentimes miss is the lordship in salvation. To know God is to submit to him. To submit to his word. To submit his call upon our lives. It means giving up everything. We talk about salvation as a free gift and it is, it is true you did nothing to purchase it. You can do nothing to purchase it. But the acceptance of the gift means giving up everything to him. We have a hard time with that because our flesh doesn't want that. But it's the only way for us to know God. Not only that, but authority and submission are built into society for our good. For our good. Peter says there, be subject to the Lord's sake for every human institution. For this is the, dropping down to 15, for this is the will of God that by doing good, you shall put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Romans chapter 13 verse 1 says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. The authority that has been placed in our life is there not by accident, not by happen chance, but the authority in our life is placed there by God. And if we are to obey him, then we must obey it. Whether it be a parent, whether it be a boss, whether it be the government. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ruffle some feathers. I did a great job last week with the 50-year-old comment, which I'm sorry for. <clears throat> but... Uh, but I'm going to ruffle some other feathers. There are some in, among us and, and in our brothers and sisters around the, around the country who have talked about how Trump is sent from God and that he's God's man in that place. Let me tell you, that is true. But it is also true that Obama was put in office for his time and his place, and he was God's man as well. They may be for different purposes and different reasons, but they were both there and both deserve as the person of God that was put in the place and the office of president our respect. Some of you are like, ooh. It's a hard word. But they are our authority. And if you doubt me, let's look at who the emperor was that Peter is going to talk about. Submit to the emperor. You know who the emperor was? The emperor was Nero. This is the guy who was using Christians lit on fire to light his parties. This is the guy. He was, this is the guy who was sewing Christians up into animal skins and then feeding them alive to Tigers and lions. This is the guy that Peter says he's there. Submit where you can. This is not easy. Submit to the emperor. We respect the government. This Peter gives us three examples here. 
of submission in different areas of our life. They, they cover the gamut from social life to civil life to our occupation to our house life. He starts with the emperor. He says, submit to the emperor. Respect the government. Be subject for, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Respect the government. No matter what. Some of the teachers of the Jews tried to trick Jesus into making a bad choice when they came to him and said, hey, should we pay taxes? Should we pay taxes? What's Jesus' response? Whose face is on the coin? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Yeah, pay your taxes. Yeah, pay your taxes. Or as I am constantly convicted of, yeah, go the speed limit. It was set there for your good and for the safety of others and it is what is required of you by the government that God has ordained over you. Go the speed limit. That one cuts deep. Okay? But we do it because God has instituted and because it is what is right. Because we are different. Even for our detriment. We are different. But notice here that he says, he makes an interesting statement. He says honor, but he does not say fear. Look at me with, Verse 17 of chapter 2 says, Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Now, you need to remember that the emperor, in the eyes of many Romans, was a god. All over the Roman Empire, there were temples set up to worship the Roman emperor. And, and many saw him and they looked at him and they, he had life and death in his hands. He could decide to execute you or not. He had proven that over and over again. And yet Peter says here, honor, don't fear. We honor. Yes, we respect. Yes, we listen to where we can. But don't fear him. We have only one that we fear, and that is the God of all creation. It is God of all creation that holds life and death in his hand. It is the God of all creation that decides salvation and not. That is who we fear. That is who we ultimately obey. Honor the emperor, absolutely. But do not fear him. Do not fear him. Of course, that leads to the question, too, of civil disobedience. What about it? What do we do with civil disobedience? Certainly, in our culture, we have celebrated many who have, had, who have practiced civil disobedience. Peter himself, what, what is his end? Peter is taken by the government because he won't stop doing the, the ministry of the gospel. Peter is ultimately crucified as a civil disobedient. What about civil disobedience? Well, the basic response is the government told you to stop preaching the gospel? Not here, not yet. Okay? Then we obey them where it is not clear that it is disobedience. We obey where it is not where it is not a violation of the word of God. Now, there are times, Peter and John, Peter and John stand behind, before the Sanhedrin, before the authority of the Jews, and they tell them, stop preaching the gospel. And what is Peter and John's response? Uh, we can't do that. That's not going to happen. Ultimately, we obey God. 
And where it's clear that, we, that the government has strayed away from that disobedience, then we do it. We've got brothers and sisters all over the world this morning that we prayed for earlier that they are in countries where they have been told, stop gathering together. And they look at their government and they say, with all due respect, uh, no. We can't do that. But you tell us to pay taxes, we will do that. You tell us to go the speed limit, we will do that. You tell us to go to this school or that school, we will do that. But we can't stop gathering. We won't stop preaching the gospel. Is there a place for civil disobedience? Yes, at times there is. But we must be very careful in wielding that tool. So we submit to the emperor. We submit to the civil government. What, what else does Peter have to say? He says, verse 18, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but to also to the unjust. Submit to your boss. Now, this one is a little different for us because if we really look at that word servant, the idea is slave. Like every time we read one of these, trust me, it's worse than what we usually experience. Like we say, uh, submit to the government. And we're like, uh, blah, 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 blah. well, we don't have a governor. We don't have a president who's like persecuting us to the point of killing us. So we got to kind of tip our hat to them and say they had it worse than us. He says, you know, you need to obey. You need to serve your master. You need to serve your boss. And it's like, man, I don't, I've got a horrible boss. You don't know. Well, you're getting paid. These, some of these folks were experiencing something quite different than that. He says, submit to your boss, both the good and the unjust. I don't know about you, but I've had good bosses Good bosses are easy to serve, right? If you have a good boss, it's like, yes, sir, no problem. I'll take care of that because you know they're going to take care of you. But then you have those other bosses that anytime there's a problem, you're the one that gets hit by the bus, not, not them. Those, those are hard to serve, right? Those bosses are no fun to take care of. What's the word of God say? doesn't matter. They're, they've been placed for some reason in authority over you. We serve them equally. Ephesians 6, Peter, or sorry, Paul gives his word. God, God gives him a word on this as well. Ephesians chapter 6, 5 through 15 says, Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants to Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he's a bondservant or free. Paul comes alongside Peter, the, the word of God, not not surprisingly, agrees with itself. And Paul says, hey, not only the just and the unjust, but do it with a sincere heart. Oh, now, <laughs> uh, it's one thing to obey, right? It's another thing to do it with a sincere heart. Like, can you imagine? Like, children do this all the time. They may obey, but do they do it with a sincere heart. Oftentimes, I got in as much trouble for my attitude when I did the right thing as when I did the wrong thing. We do it with a sincere heart. We must mean it. It can't be begrudgingly. People notice that. We do it with a sincere heart as unto the Lord. Remembering that ultimately we don't fear man. We fear God. We respect God. And we, we are obeying Him when we obey those in authority over us. The last one. Peter gets even a little bit closer to home. You know, the government's kind of 
for many of us, we don't necessarily, that doesn't necessarily impact us day to day in, in a very tangible way. Some, for some of us it does, but for many of us it doesn't. And so it's kind of out there and it's like, okay, yeah, I need to honor the president. I need to honor the government. I need to submit. Yeah, yeah. And then with the boss, it's like, ooh, that's a little bit closer to home. That's a little bit harder to deal. But man, this last one, this last one's really hard. This last one, he speaks to spouses. He speaks to the spouses and he says, Ladies, you need to submit to your husband. Now, you'll notice in this passage, unlike the passage in Ephesians, if you go back to Ephesians 5, you're going to notice that Paul speaks to the same thing, that Paul is speaking to spouses as well, and there it's pretty well balanced, right? You go back and you read Ephesians 5, and the word to the husbands is pretty close to the word to the wives in terms of length and and detail. Here, it's not. Here, the husbands get the last word, and it's like, just a couple of sentences, and it's really short. Why is that? Why does Peter not give as much time towards husbands? Well, it's because he's talking on, about submission in terms of holiness, and in this case, wives submit to husbands. And again, and I will say this for the umpteenth time, this is not a word about equality. This is a word about roles. Women are equal to men. That is without question. Even here when he talks to the men, he says that they are heirs with you of grace. This is not an issue of equality. This is an issue of God-ordained roles. And he is very very clear to the husbands that we are not to abuse the authority that we've been given. He says that you should instead honor the wife. Ephesians makes it clear that we are to give our lives up for her as Christ gave his life up for the church. Christ did that to the point of death. So before a husband takes on that role and says, hey, like you're supposed to listen, we, we also need to understand that God is very clear that we are not to abuse that authority, that we should honor her giving up our own selves, not only our lives, but oftentimes putting aside our own desires so that she may be held up. And Peter gives this other great warning, which I love. He says, you need to do this so that your prayers may not be hindered. So that your prayers may not be hindered. One of, one of, the, one of the men that I really respect in the faith, one of his first questions, we would meet together, and there was several of us men would meet together, and one, if a guy came and said, hey, I'm just struggling with this, I'm struggling with that, and it seems like my prayers are hitting the ceiling, the first question that this gentleman would always ask was, how's your relationship with your wife? How's your relationship with your wife? Because Peter makes it clear, if you're not honoring her, then God's going to stand there and go, you need to take care of that before you, you come to me. Because that relationship is a picture of Christ and the church. And if you're disrespecting that picture, if you're disrespecting what God has put into place there, then God's going to go, whoa, hold on there, buddy. So husbands, we are to honor. However, most of this passage is written to wives. Wives, submit to your husband. Yes, we submit first to Christ and then the husband. It's interesting here. In the Roman culture, in the Roman culture, it was the expectation that the wife would, when she got married, give away all of her friends and take on the husband's friends. That she would give up any religion that she had followed before and she would take on his religion. Peter is not saying that. 
Peter is, is kind of in some ways turning culture upside down on its head. He's not saying you need to leave behind everything, wife. It, not that you need to give up everything. We submit first to Christ. First to Christ. But in everything else, we submit to the husband. It's a hard word. It's a hard word. Because sometimes we as men don't earn that, do we? It doesn't matter. He says here, even if the husband is not one who obeys the word. Now, the obvious, it's just like with government, it's just like with our bosses. If the boss or the government says to do something that's obviously against the, the word of the Lord, then no, sorry. With all kindness, with all grace, with all humility, you say, no, I can't do that. Here's why. But in everything else, to the best of the ability of, of the wife, with all grace and all humility, with all love, we submit. Why? For the sake of salvation. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, that's, that they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. We pray for salvation. It is going right back to what he says at the beginning in verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Why is submission important even in the, the household, even among spouses? Because we pray for salvation. Not an easy word. Not an easy word, is it? So how do we do it then? How do we do this submission thing? If it's so difficult to submit to a government, if it's so difficult with a, with a good and sincere conscience to submit to a boss who maybe is not the best, if it's difficult at times to submit to a husband or to honor a wife, then how do we do that? Well, in the smack middle of what we've just read, Peter tells us how. He says, there, for this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures suffer, sorrows while suffering unjustly. He says in verse 21, For this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. How do we do this? Because Christ has left us an example first. Christ, who was God in heaven, stepped up, get, put down His authority, put down all His rights so that He may take on flesh. And while He was here, He was an example of how we react to authority. Even when authority is dead wrong. Even when authority would cause us to suffer. He says, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. Yet when He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten. When He continued entrusting Himself to the One who judges justly. Can you imagine? Jesus, as He was being threatened with the cross, how easy it would have been for him to look at Caesar or to look at king, the king or to look at the Jewish people and say, be gone and it's done. How easy would it have been for him to call down the angels of heaven and say, I'm tired of this. He had the authority. He had the right. He had the freedom. And yet he did not. For your sake and for mine as an example. Verse 16 of chapter 2 says, Live as people who are free, but not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. 
Brothers and sisters, in Christ we are free and we are free indeed. All the shackles of sin have been taken off and we are free to live however the Lord leads us to live. However, Peter says, be very careful with that. Your freedom is not an excuse to disobey. Your freedom is not an excuse to rebel. But rather, use your freedom to do good. To submit as the example of Christ shows us. But it's not just through the example of Christ. It is through the wounds of Christ. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. That we might die to sin and live in righteousness. How do we do this submission thing that is so against our culture? Is so against every fiber of our being? We do it. Through the Christ alone, we do it through His grace. We, we look back in those moments when our boss has thrown us under the bus and told us to do something that is incredibly unreasonable. We look at the cross. And we remember that Christ did something incredibly unreasonable for us. We remember that He has bound up our wounds that we do it through the grace of Christ as well. He himself bore sins on that tree that we may die to sin and live to righteousness. By his, by his wounds, you have been healed. We respect, we honor, but we do not fear because our Father in heaven, our Savior has already taken care of our wounds. Anything that we experience here is nothing compared to the grace that has been given us. We don't talk about submission lightly because it's not easy. We don't talk about submission to a government that is cruel lightly because it's not easy. We don't talk about submission to the authority given in our workplace. We don't talk about it lightly because it's not easy. Because often it is unfair. Often it is seemingly not right. We don't talk about Submitting to a husband because, or a wife or honoring a wife. We don't talk about those things lightly because oftentimes as human beings, we don't deserve honor as wives and we don't deserve submission as husbands. But when we look at all of these things, we look at the cross of Christ and remember that he gave the example. And that if we will follow his example and live differently, the world around us who calls us evildoers, the world around us who calls us crazy, they will not help but look at our lives and see the way that we live and see the example you set before us and say, what's going on? And we can respond, Christ is going on. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up. And this morning, maybe you're sitting here and you have never submitted to Christ. You may have gone to church your whole life. You may be the best person sitting in this room based on all the things that we would measure that by. But you have never submitted to Christ and said, you're my king and I, will, I pledge my allegiance to you and to you alone. This morning, he invites you into salvation. He invites you into all of heaven if you will submit. If you will make him your Lord and your Savior. And trust me, it's an incredible life. We look at submission and we're like, man, that's going to be nothing but boring and people telling us what to do. There is great freedom in submitting to Christ. There is great satisfaction. There's great joy. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're a believer, but you look at this, these, this passage this morning and you go, I've not been doing so good on this whole submission thing. 
not been doing so good on this whole submission thing, and you just need to confess this morning before your God and your king to say, I'm sorry, forgive me, help me to do better. Whatever the case, I pray that this morning that you would respond to the word of God. Let me pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for everything you give us. Lord, we thank you for this time that we have. We thank you for your word. But Lord, I will confess, Lord, that this word is hard. Lord, I, I want to be my, I want to be a rebel at heart. Lord, I want, I want to, to go against the goads. I, I want to, to do my own thing. And Father, yet you have called us to see that authority is placed there by you for our own good in many cases so that we may set an example for those that see us. And really, I shouldn't say in many cases. In all cases, it's for our good, whether, whether we would say it was good or not. Father, I pray this morning, Lord, that you would help us as a people to remember who our true king is. Lord, that we would not continue to kick against you, but that, Lord, we would open our arms and say, Lord, where would you have me to go? What would you have me to do? I lay everything else off to the side. Lord, I pray, help us to get to that point. I pray this in your name. Amen. You can stand.